December 4th, 2014. This is the Hermetic Hour. I'm your host, Polk Runyon. And tonight we review and discuss the latest controversial book attempting to prove the marriage between Jesus and Mary the Magdalene, The Lost Gospel, by Simca Jacobovici and Barry Wilson. This is basically a reinterpretation of an ancient text, the elaborate story of Joseph and Asenath from the book of Genesis, seen as a coded allegory for Jesus and Mary the Magdalene, being married and having a family. Now, the authors make some very good arguments for this interpretation. Apparently, this is not a new idea, but this lost gospel has been speculated as a coded text for hundreds of years. And we find it particularly important because it lines up with the Nessaean Hippolytus document behind our conception of the secret Holy Grail history, which was suggested in From Ritual to Romance by Jesse Weston. Frater Solomon, who we'll be calling in tonight, discovered a link from the lost gospel to the Crater Repoa that I find is quite significant. And then I got to looking at it and discovered another one. And it also seems that Mary the Magdalene, Mary the Lady of the Tower, may have been known to the original Rosicrucians. So if you want to get a hermetic view on the lost gospel, then stay with us and we'll start decoding. Now, this book is uh, written by the same author of, of Jesus, the Family Tomb. That's uh, Simka Jacobovici, and he's an Israeli, and Professor Barry Wilson. Um, now, Lost Gospel has just just recently been uh, hit the stands. It's already causing quite a controversy. The secondary title is Decoding the Ancient Text that Reveals Jesus' Marriage to Mary the Magdalene. Now, let's um, define what this ancient text is and where it comes from. Actually, it was in the British Museum. Um, it dates from the, as near as anyone can tell, from the second century, um, around the time the Gospels were written, possibly a little later. Now, um, this this particular book is one of these uh, leather-bound manuscript-type uh, books, and it's it's in Syriac, which is really uh, a an early Christian version of Aramaic. It's in uh, in the Syriac language. It was translated from Greek original from a Greek original into this Syriac copy that is in the British Museum. Now, the story behind that is is that the um, 
uh, the, originally the book was written in Greek, as all the Gospels were, of course. And um, uh, at a certain point, uh, the uh, the individual who wanted uh, the Syriac copy made, uh, he was a, a Syrian Christian, um, and as you, as I'm sure everybody realizes, back uh, after uh, Jesus' crucifixion and all the way up until the, the Muslims um, uh, started their their breakout from Arabia, um, the that whole area in Syria right now that they're fighting over, and Lebanon all the way up to into Syria, all the way up into Turkey, was primarily Christian. And and um, so the, one of these Syriac um, uh, uh, Christian uh, priests wanted a copy of this book out of the Greek, but he wanted it in, in Syriac so he could read it better and, and, and have it his um, have it in his library, his church. So he he commissioned a uh, yeah, a man by the name of Moses, uh first name Moses, um and um uh, he commissioned him to translate it out of Greek into Syriac. And that's the copy that's in the British Museum is the Syriac copy. Uh, Frater Solomon, are you on? Yes, I am. Okay. Now, uh, <clears throat> let me uh, finish wrapping this. Let's uh, hang on there. I'll get this uh, uh, so everybody knows what it is we're talking about. So, <clears throat> anyway, Moses um Took the uh, Greek, uh, the Greek copy from from this uh, from this Syrian Christian uh, uh, priest who had it, and and he, he looked it over, and he wrote a letter back to his patron who had who had asked him to do the book, and he said. Yes, he said, well, of course, he sent the letter along with the translation. He translated the book. And the letter says, yes, I have I have undertaken your, your task here, and I've translated the book for you into Syriac. And uh, as he goes on uh, uh, talking and moralizing about the book and, and about his translation for a while, but getting toward the near, near the end of the letter, the introductory letter, he frankly says that this is a dangerous book, and and uh, you can't you you should be very careful with it, and uh, because it does have a hidden meaning, and um, so treat it with with caution, and and he's just about on the point of revealing what it is, why why it is that he's saying this, and somebody ripped the bottom off the letter, and and that. Um, is quite suggestive. And um, now, that's that's one of the one of the indications that this that this thing really is not what it what it seems to be on the surface. Now, what it seems to be on the surface is an elaboration 
of the story of Joseph in Egypt. Now we were all familiar with Joseph and, and the, the you know the fabulous dream coat. And Joseph, poor, poor little Joseph, was sold by his brothers, his evil, his evil brothers, into slavery in Egypt. And uh, and Joseph had psychic abilities, and he was a he was a prophet, and he interpreted the Pharaoh's dream. And the Pharaoh was so impressed with the with Joseph's uh, psychic abilities and in interpreting his dreams that he he began to he took Joseph on as a as an advisor, and eventually Joseph was so successful in advising the Pharaoh that that Joseph became the Pharaoh's prime minister and. Uh, or Grand Vizier, as they used to call him way back when. But Joseph was the Pharaoh's right hand man. He and and it wasn't long, too long, before he was running the whole country. And now, um, you can say, if you want to, that the whole story of Joseph is really a a, a kind of a whitewash of the. Of the uh, the Hyksos taking over Egypt because eventually Joseph invited uh, all the Hebrews uh, and, uh, of his tribe to, to come down and and settle in the land of Goshen and that's how the Hebrews originally got into Egypt in the first place. Um, but um, regardless of that, according to the Joseph story in the Bible in Genesis. Uh, Joseph married an Egyptian uh, an Egyptian woman who was the daughter of of a high priest in the city of On O N. Now that's been interpreted as Heliopolis or the city of the sun, and um, and yes, yeah, and and he had two children, two boys by. Um, um, the Egyptian uh, wife and of course he continued as, as Pharaoh's number one advisor and, and administrator so this is the, basically the story and of course Joseph eventually um, um, resolves this his um, his problems with his father and and with with his family and whatever and even forgives his brothers and all that, but uh, the um, this is the this this is what's in Genesis, and this is all. There's nothing more than this in Genesis. Uh, so, what we have in this lost gospel is a is a extensive elaboration on this story, especially involving Joseph's marriage to Aseneth, the Egyptian the Egyptian um, uh, priest's daughter. And that, the way this, this book is written, um, it is obvious to, well, it's obvious to me, and, and, and I think... Uh, Father Solomon agrees with me uh, that this is certainly not the story of Joseph and Aseneth. 
this is this is something else. And um Brother Solomon, do you think I've, I've pretty well um, uh, covered the background on that, uh, on the biblical uh, aspect of it? Yeah, and you made some good points to me that are probably worth bringing up. I um, I noticed an ad for this book, um, The Lost Gospel. It was really exciting. Uh, I, I guess it wasn't well advertised, but for some reason I was lucky enough to find it. And um, I told Polk about it, and uh, or I told you about it, and I, I thought um, – Boy, this is really good. Then, but then, I, when I got the book, the first thing I did was rather than read the interpretation, I just read the translated book. I saw a couple of names. I said, "Ah, oh, this is just the story of Joseph and Asenath," and I put it down and forgot about it. Well, the good thing is, um, Pope didn't. He got the book, and uh, you know, you, you you looked it over, and um, you found all the clues that showed that this wasn't retelling the story of Joseph. It was just using that as a figure, and. Um, I, I did a little bit of research myself that shows where that technique came from. Uh, the Essenes at the Dead Sea had a technique called the Pesher technique, wherein they would, um, stories, and they would elaborate how they were really prophesying an event that was going to happen in the future. So even though, like, for instance, there's the Pesher Habakkuk, it means the commentary of Habakkuk, where um, – Habakkuk was uh, describing his event, but uh, the Dead Sea scenes were saying he was really describing another event. And um, John the Baptist is uh, very strongly affiliated with these scenes. And whether or not um, that point can be argued, this technique was in existence uh, at the time Jesus was walking the earth already. So it was a a technique they would um, elaborate on. We have the story of Isaac and um, we see our, our first coded text from the Christians heavily in the book of Revelations, and it's very obvious that it's coded because uh, John the Revelator tells us it's coded. So we know that this was a technique that the Christians were familiar with, the early Christians, and that they would use. And um, the key in the text, uh, I'm not going to say the author didn't believe that this might have happened to Joseph when he wrote it, when he was uh, channeling it, but um, one of the key hints is... Um, Aseneth sees the heavenly Joseph. So who is this heavenly Joseph? Well, according to Jewish tradition, the Messiah, who the Christians believed was Jesus, was um, possibly the only, but definitely one of the pre-existent souls that already had existed before anybody else or any man on earth was created. So in this heavenly Joseph, and, and just to give you an idea of how significant Joseph was, uh, in um, Middle East tradition, Joseph is considered the most beautiful man in the world. And uh, what more would the Savior be typified as than the most beautiful man in the world when he finally comes? So this heavenly Joseph that Asenath meets is obviously the Messiah. It couldn't be anybody else. So it's obviously saying in this story, uh, she's meeting Jesus, and he's the heavenly Joseph who's going to come down later, just like there's a heavenly Jerusalem that corresponds to the Jerusalem that already exists but is greater. So this telling of the story of Joseph, the author wants us to figure out the hint, which is Joseph is definitely a prefigure of Jesus, and everything in this story really relates to Jesus. And uh, there's all sorts of codes, and there's all sorts of factors that um, put it out of the Old Testament story showing that that really isn't the author's intent. You don't have um, the details of um, Joseph's brothers, which are, are very detailed in the Genesis account. 
it really just focuses on the love relationship and um, what Mary Magdalene, who's um, coded as Asenath, has to go through. And uh, I don't remember all the points off the top of my head, but you made some really good ones that show that this is really just pointing to um, Jesus and Mary Magdalene. It is um, not pointing towards um, really Joseph at all. It's just a story interpreted as a prefigure, kind of like Isaac was well, a prefigure of me, uh, Jesus himself. Let me pick this up a little bit. Uh, Joseph, in in this uh, in this particular version, um, this uh, this Syriac version that we have. Um, Joseph is is literally done up like a sun god. He, yes. he when he when he arrives at at Asenath's tower, and by the way, Mary, that's a clue that she Asenath lives in a tower, and and uh, and so did Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene, that Magdalene Magdala means the tower, and. Magdalene is uh, is uh, the lady of the tower. <coughs> so when we say when we say uh, Mary, we don't say Mary Magdalene. We say Mary the Magdalene, Mary the tower lady. Now, in this story, Asenath lives in the tower. She watches Joseph riding in, coming to uh, to uh, to court her. And he's in a golden chariot pulled by white horses, and he's wearing a white robe with a purple with a purple mantle, and he's wearing a and he's wearing a sun crown, and even a even a golden halo. In other words, I think that most of our readers or of our listeners are aware that at the time of of Christ, at the time that Jesus was born, um, that whole uh, Middle East, the Phoenicians and the uh, and the uh, and the Jews <coughs> had been solarized. Their religion and their mythology and everything had been solarized. The Jews were originally Saturnian, as as you know, they still have the Sabbath on Saturday. But that everything, all it, 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 the Greeks um, after Alexander. The Greeks solarized the whole Middle East and the whole uh, the whole Mediterranean. So, uh, and this, uh, along with this book, there are several other books that you should read. Along with this book, one of them is 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 Fiedler's Jesus Christ, Son of God, S U N. Yeah, you read Jesus Christ, Son of God, S U N of God, and you will and, and and then as you read the last gospel you'll go you'll go aha on every page, you know, because uh Jesus was, was literally made into a sun god. And the Romans they they uh they they put the cap on it. But uh you see Joseph as as a sun god. Not only that, but um when he comes down in his angelic form, and 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 after after Mary Magdalene in the inner tower is thrown all over, she's being groomed. By the way, according to this book, she's being groomed to be uh, a high priestess of, of the Egyptian gods. <coughs> now, now, 
uh, Simchip, Giacobovici, believes and and says that actually she wasn't... uh, that it wasn't Isis really and, and Osiris or, or at all, that really it was Artemis, which at that time was the Greek god or goddess that, that supplanted the worship of Astarte in in uh in Anatolia and in in, in and through all the way up through Syria. So in the in the story, uh Asenath after when 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 Jesus first or Joseph first meets her, uh, he he won't touch her because uh, because she's she's pagan, and 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 so she becomes devastated. So she goes up into the tower, throws all of their gods and statues out out the window of the tower, and renounces all of her pagan her pagan gods. Well, then after she's Gone in the morning and, and and poured ashes on her head and everything else to purify herself. Then the angel comes down to her as uh, it's actually Jesus or, or the archangel Michael is surrogate for Jesus. So he comes down to her and lifts her up. Says, "Go, you know, go clean yourself up. Put on your put on your." Your finest clothes, and and the, the marriage really takes place in that tower room with the angel before Jesus ever ever comes back and con- and, and consummates it. That's when it takes place. It takes place uh, and and, and uh, on the astral, as it were, in in her room with the archangel Michael uh, or this angelic figure, which is really looks just like Joseph and or, or Jesus. And anyway. So she comes in with her finery, and then uh, he, the angel, gives her a honeycomb, and and they both they both eat this eat eat the honey from the honeycomb. Now, this this is the the sacrament, in other words, and and then they even uh, they even make a, he even makes a. A cross over the over the honeycomb, which is interpreted as uh, as you know relating to uh, to the cross symbol. But that I'm not, you know, I read the in the original translation and then the way they interpreted it. I'm not sure about that one, but the honeycomb definitely and uh, the um, the honeycomb is um, definitely there. And of course this. Is another link to the Craterapoa because in the seventh degree of the Craterapoa, as you discovered, uh, and and you discovered, Father uh, Solomon, uh, the the title that Pharaoh gave to Joseph was. Um, what was it again? I, I can't. I'm trying to remember how to pronounce um, it. Saphonith Panica. Yeah, and uh, that title <coughs> means means uh, a prophet. It means he who knows the mysteries, revealer of the mysteries. Now, supposedly Pharaoh in Genesis, and it's, it's right in there as you pointed out. It in Genesis, uh, Pharaoh gives the original Joseph that title. Now, 
in the seventh degree of the credit Rapoa, Von Copen gave um, um, the Profeta the, the the initiative of the seventh of, who receives the, the seventh degree. He is given that title. Not only is he given that title, he is also given the Holy Malus Honey Sacrament at the same time during the initiation. And this means, as far as I'm concerned, that this, as as they have indicated, this lost gospel, this uh, this story, this allegorical story of Joseph and Asenath, which is actually Jesus and Mary Magdalene, has been around for a long time, and 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 a number of people have known about it. And I'm pretty certain that the Rosicrucians knew about it because of the tower. Mary Magdalene's tower, the wedding in the tower, and uh, the uh, and also um, there's uh, uh, there was a monk Basil Valentinius, and, and, and by the way, this this gospel. Are you there, Mike? Oh, you're coughing too. I didn't give you my yeah, cold. Yeah, me. <laughs> Did I give you my cold? Oh, yeah, it must have been over the phone. You know, <laughs> viruses yeah. can spread by by computer and everything these days. No, but anyway, uh, <laughs> I was going to say though that um, that this this lost gospel was written down by and used by Valentinian Christians, Valentinian Gnostic Christians. And it just so happens that the last of the Valentinian Gnostic Christians was our guy Marcus, who who did the Soma Sophia that we have decoded, and and uh, and you know took took the to took the uh, his version of the communion all the way to southern France, and and, and we believe uh, trans took took the you know the Holy Grail tradition. Uh, and in, in the Nicene document in, in the Diplomitis uh, 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 describes. But uh, this this monk, Basil, called Basil Valentinius, our uh, early Dark Age monk, he um, had um, um, an, an ascension through seven through seven uh, palaces and, and all the way up to the uh, the king, the king rises through seven seven uh, uh, spheres and then finally finds his seat in the seventh sphere. And and uh, uh, Valentinius obviously was uh, was a monk that was still hanging on to the Valentinian tradition. But uh, there are too many. This this as I said, this lost gospel has been known. And and even uh, they even indicate that the that the the Jews took it into the Talmud, and they knew it. They knew it in the Talmud. They they made references to the that it represented uh, Jesus. Do you recall that? Oh yeah, Gehazi. No, in the in in the Jerusalem Talmud. Oh yeah, yeah. Gehazi was also seen as a, a, a prefigure. That's something that I read in the book. Yeah. Also, the seven palaces. Um, 
that, that correlates with the Hecalot tradition. It's part of the Merkaba tradition where once you get to the, um, once you get to the seventh heaven, then you go through the seven palaces within the seventh heaven. And yeah. uh, at the center is um, a Katriel who um, is sort of a, a symbol of, um, of God, not necessarily God himself because um, there were higher heavens. Uh, there was an eighth heaven that um, was very heavily used in the Gnostic tradition where you go higher and higher. Um, but one of these things that I'm noticing, I just put this together now, Polk, um, um, Artemis, she is the um, goddess associated with the moon and um, Mary Magdalene or, or the woman in uh, the book of Revelations is also standing on the moon. So we have a beautiful correlation of the sun and a uh, marriage of the sun and the moon because there's so much heavily uh, <clears throat> heavily uh, entrenched symbolism of the moon or Artemis on Asenath and the sun or Apollo on Joseph. Joseph is literally just washed with symbolism of him being Apollo. It's uh, it's in the oh, yeah. rays coming out of his head. It, it, it's it's all over. And um, oh yeah, and you made a good point. You made a good point on this being an allegory, um, and, and I'll point this out. When um, Asenath threw out her twelve or her seven idols, the dogs came and ate them. Now that shows this is definitely a category, uh, an allegory because dogs are not going to eat idols, unless it's an allegory, and those dogs are an allegory of something. And um, dogs were sacrificed to the goddess um, Artemis. So what we're seeing here is the dogs themselves are devouring what held them in. And that corresponds to our uh, yoga tradition of the breaking of the seven seals, where you you see through and you understand what the um, Canaanite oh. god forms are really about. All right. And Jesus also, you remember now, Jesus also restored restored the the, the gods to her because after, after they ate the honeycomb, uh, uh, SNF had in in the story now, uh, uh, Mary Magdalene uh, uh, had seven virgin handmaidens that that looked after her and and were were in her entourage, and Jesus or Joseph if had Michael uh, blessed all of them and said that they will be the pillars of your city of refuge. And in fact, he gave her the title. He gave Mary Magdalene the title when after she ate the honeycomb and, and with him, he gave her the title of city of refuge. You will be the city of refuge. In other words, you're going to be the church. And and I'm going to make these seven handmaidens of yours the, the uh, pillars of the church. So what he was doing there, when he was doing that, he was reestablishing her her uh, her god, her her goddesses. You follow me? Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, there's also something else that that we can mention, and that's Mary Magdalene having the seven demons. That's also her having the um, seven. It's really her having the seven seals broken, or the old way of viewing um, the Canaanite gods is broken for the new understanding that Jesus is bringing. Yeah. Well, in in our in our uh, yoga book, uh, of course, uh, 
Fred or Osiris has this um, has this um, uh, analogy uh, of uh, the chemical wedding of Christian Rosenkreutz being being a uh, following uh, Kitchell's spiral up the, up the planets going up the uh, going up the ladder up the ladder of the of the, of the uh, the mystic rose is what we call, you know, the chakras, and and and, uh, and he sees this in, in the sequence of the chemical wedding. I also see uh, a lot of of symbolism uh, from this lost gospel story in the chemical wedding. Uh, the, the tower and and uh, there's a seems to be. Uh, uh, I I really do. I honestly do think that the early Rosicrucians were aware of this. Uh, Joseph and SNF um, uh, gospel, I think they were, and, I, and I'm almost certain that von Copen, who wrote the Credit uh, Republic, he must have known about it. Um, so they may this, not have kept it secret been, too. Well, they kept it secret, but they really didn't. It was it, it was sitting there and it had been in there at the British Museum for about 300 years. That book, hiding or more than that. Yeah, right. Yeah, hiding right in plain sight. But I'm sure, and and reading between the lines in in this book, and I, and and enough of his references. This was known. This was widely known, and I'm sure that the Nestorian Christians, you know, they they were well aware of it. And and uh, when you when you when you read the book um, you know, carefully, you you become aware that they were because all the various comments and 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 references and similar stories too by the way uh, it, but the important thing to, from from our point of view is that this this completely uh, this completely validates uh um, Jesse Weston's from ritual to romance theory. I mean, it completely validates. It also validates. It also validates to a great extent Dan Brown's Da Vinci Code too, <laughs> but uh, but mainly the the uh, from ritual to romance, in which um, uh, Jesse Weston, the British lady anthropologist, back in uh, 1920, wrote uh, uh, from ritual to romance, and what she said was is that. That the original Holy Grail story started uh, up there at Afaka in the Lebanon back uh, back when uh, when uh, when Baal was first killed. Of course, we haven't taken it all away from the earliest stories. Uh, we have Baal being being killed by Moat, the uh, the Grim Reaper. Uh, the uh, but then later um, they interpreted it as as Tammuz being either gored by a boar uh, and, uh, and or um, um, otherwise uh, otherwise being uh, being uh, gored and his blood flowing down the river and and the river of course as the spring rains rise uh, the river level that the river Ebram hits a hematite layer and runs red all the way down to the sea. Which it supposedly still does. Uh, and uh, uh, by the way, I I asked uh, uh, Karim Okusa uh, over in Lebanon to be listening tonight, and I hope he is because I really want to get his get, get his take on the lost gospel. 
And and as it relates to his book, which I think should be read along with the Lost Gospel, and that's Jesus the Phoenician. And that uh, that we had a, we had a show on that some time back. Uh, and Jesus Jesus the Phoenician is is as big of a big a bombshell as far as I'm concerned as this Lost Gospel. The two of them really ought to be read together because um, uh, this Lost Gospel really confirms uh, what Karim Al-Kusa is saying about Jesus really being primarily primarily a Phoenician. In other words, as we were, as we've said all the way along for the last 40 years, we've been saying that Jesus was, was like Paul said, he was a priest after the order of Melchizedek. In other words, he was a devotee of El, not, not Jehovah. And 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 uh, and he wanted to reestablish the worship of El, and and uh, and this fits right in with the Gnostic theory, you know, because El is the El is the original Father God, and and whereas Jehovah was a later a later uh, uh, development, which which the Gnostics, not the Valentinians necessarily, but but. The, the the number of the Gnostics they 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 looked at uh, Jehovah as a evil demiurge, uh, and uh, they venerated the original Father God uh, way across the abyss. Um, in 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 uh, uh, talking about the 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 uh, the conflict here, uh, I actually. The the imposition of of uh, of of Jehovah as the primary God seems to start with Ezra. Would you agree with that? Oh, totally. Yeah, there's a, a big hint, um, and, it, and it's really easy to miss in the Old Testament um, that um, Northern Israel, where the ten tribes were, uh, is associated with. Uh, not just worship of El and Asherah, his, his wife, but also um, Baal and Astarte. You have King Ahab with his wife Jezebel. And um, they're totally in league with the Phoenicians following the line, um, their worship of um, the whole Canaanite pantheon. And Galilee is um, actually north of Samaria, where the capital of the, uh, the uh, ten tribes of Israel was. So that means Jesus was in an area where the ten tribes that really are Phoenician because they're associated with the exact same worship that the Phoenicians followed. So that big debate um, that was going on in Israel was, are they, are they going to follow uh, the Jewish religion in the south, or are they going to follow um, the Phoenician religion of their ancestors? Um, two of the tribes, uh, or three of the tribes, Asherah, Naphtali, and Dan, northern Dan, because there's two parts of Dan, they are uh, all, all three of those tribes are in territory that uh, is well known to be Phoenician ter- territory, Southern Phoenician territory. Yeah, well, I, you know, as I said, um, Ezra and uh, Karim Okusa uh, talks about this too in 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 a couple of his books. He has. Jesus, Jesus the Phoenician, and then he has the Phoenician Code, which is which is a kind of a Dan Brown type novel, which is which is rather rather 
rather interesting. He he kind of he kind of makes a villain out of Scottish right, which which I don't quite agree with. But but you know what uh, uh, that's been done before. Uh, but uh, uh, Ezra Ezra uh, re Ezra rewrote the Bible as or put the Bible together as we have it right now, as you know, and and established the second temple and and established uh Jehovah as the as the primary God. But I I think that all the way back to Solomon and of course before that Shamgar, I think there were they were trying the L was L was was uh, was 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 God? In fact, that's what El meant was God, and um, and there was an ongoing attempt to to make uh, Yahweh, uh, Jehovah, and El synonymous, and uh, the worship synonymous. And I think what Ezra finally did was was he did it, but but El got lost in the process, if you know what I mean. Right. So, so uh, yeah, yeah. We <clears throat> it's only been recently. Compa- um, yeah, all the compassionate, all the compassionate gets lost in the in the process of assimilation, and 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 Jehovah, the jealous God, becomes the, the primary one. And I think this but, is what Jesus Jesus was coming. One of Jesus's main missions was was to to restore uh, the worship of El, the compassionate, and. Um, what do you think about that? Well, yeah, absolutely. There's um, a, a coded text that Wellhausen and Professor Wellhausen discovered a couple centuries ago. It was uh, 1800, and it's now known as the documentary hypothesis. And uh, he shows that there uh, are consistently, and if you read Genesis, uh, you can see it. There are consistently contradictory accounts. The first um, chapter of Genesis has God creating uh, man and woman together. Whereas the second uh, chapter, it has not El doing the creating or Elohim, but it has um, Jehovah doing the creating, and he creates woman after man. Whereas the first uh, chapter already says they were created together. So you have two different stories. And uh, what you can see that Ezra did is you have certain parts uh, in the book of Genesis where the stories are listed separately because they've already diverged too much. And then you have other parts where you can tell he's being repetitive and he's cutting and pasting two texts and putting them together. And these two major texts were known as the Yahweh's text that calls God Yahweh or Jehovah and uh, the Elohes text, which calls um, God Elohim or um, Elion. And uh, one thing that I think is interesting, too, is um, we have El the Compassionate, but we also have um, kind of a, an angry El, but Sankuniathon actually distinguishes those two. Uh, the first um, god was um, El Elyon, which means El the Almighty. He's the uh, father of uh, Father Sky and Mother Earth, and um, they're the parents of um, uh, El and, and his wife, uh, which is interestingly named Beirut, which is um, the capital of... Uh, Lebanon now, and the city does have that ancient of a name. It goes way back. So um, there's a strong connection, and our um, the, the L I'd say that we worship Pope. Um, I don't I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I would say it's the older L who is the ancestor. He's he's the the grandfather of uh, Baal, but but uh, 
through through Dagon, but um the 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 younger L El Hamon is um the um uh the El who is not uh the father or grandfather of Bal but his uncle. Yeah, the um um the um early history of of, of God uh by the way I think uh Mark uh was it uh Smith has a good book on that. Yeah, yeah. The early history of God um, bears this out that uh, El, El was originally called Bull El. He was a bull. Um uh, Hephaestus copied a, uh, a statuette of, of, of El from, uh, from from a museum over in, in Beirut that uh, uh, that uh, we have up on the up on the wall, and he was originally he was originally the book the bull. Now he started the zodiac, and uh, and and actually the letter Aleph is an A, and it originally was an A turned upside down, uh, which looks just like two horns and a bull's head, and uh, <coughs> pointing down. So this is where. In the Ten Commandments, when it says, "He'll place no other god before me," we're talking. In this case, he's talking about he's talking about L. He's talking about Bull L, because that's the first letter of the alphabet, and that's uh, you know that that goes right uh, where the zodiac starts, where it started, and it originally started in Aldebaran and Taurus in the bullseye. Bullseye astrology. What? Yeah, bullseye astrology. Bullseye astrology. Yeah, that's where the zodiac started. It started in Aldebaran, and and uh, and back about about five thousand four hundred years ago. Or if you or if you want to go to go to the age of Taurus before that, then you're back you're back around the time of Atlantis, and and I prefer that with that that interpretation personally, but. Uh, the uh, because according to uh, Hamlet's Mill, uh, the zodiac's been around for a long, 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 long time, and uh, so uh, wrapping up this this uh, story, the last gospel here, what we have here is a is a, a manuscript that dates from the, from the second century. Um, that that gives us a an allegorical story of Jesus marrying Mary Magdalene, and uh, and gives us uh, details on sacraments and 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 gives us any number of very interesting uh, uh, interpretations that correspond very 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 closely with what we know about uh, this uh, this whole. Uh, progression, especially through Hippolytus, and and uh, and uh, by the way, uh, if if uh, if our listeners want to um, want to check this out, Hippolytus uh, drawing on earlier uh, Bishop Arrhenius and 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 all, 
you can go to online to the Gnostic Library and and uh, and and look for Hippolytus refutation of all heresies. And 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 what Hippolytus did was he had this document called the Nessaean document, and it was supposedly uh, written by the Gnostics, and Hippolytus was going to try to refute it. Well, thank goodness he, he, he published it because we wouldn't have it if he hadn't, but he published it for the purpose of trying to refute it. Naturally, his refutation didn't amount to very much, but at least we got the document, and that was the best part of it, so we got to give him credit for that. But what the Nessaean document basically says is that Jesus was the last of the pagan dying gods. And they start with Osiris, and they work their way all the way up through Hercules and and and, uh, and Dionysus and and and, uh, uh, and Attis and all of the various dying gods. And Jesus was the last of the green men. That's what the Nessaean document says, and that's what this lost gospel tends to bear out, and and very definitely. And so, uh, I encourage everyone who is interested in this to read it, and read it along with, uh, along with Karim Alcusa's Jesus the Phoenician, and then you will really, really have a picture of of. Uh, what uh, the, this, the Holy Grail and the Da Vinci Code is all about, and all of that, you'll really, you'll really be able to put it into perspective. So, uh, do you have any uh, any closing thoughts, Michael? Uh, uh, no, I just uh, to follow the whole um, worship of El. Uh, a good book that um, that I have is um, Sources of the Pentateuch. If you want to. Um, Read that's uh, the Pentateuch's uh, five books of Moses. You you can read the divided accounts. Um, it has the uh, Jehovahist, the Yahwist section separated from the Elohist section. And um, who wrote the Bible is a really good book because that shows that, that really nails the fact that Ezra was the guy who pieced it together. And there are certain remarks. Um, he, he's called the redactor. Um, there's certain remarks that are similar to his writing style that shows that he's piecing things together. And, um, you know, pick up a copy of the Lost Gospel, um, read it with an open mind, um, understand that um, coded texts, that, that is not something that just popped up in the uh, 1800s, 1900s. Um, we've always had a big human brain that was able to do this a long time ago, and that's what we've been doing, and that's what you'll see when you read the the Lost Gospel. The, the case is, um, it's not just very strong; it's overwhelming. And I was very skeptical at first because I just read it without trying to um, see whether or not it was a coded text. I just a couple names go. Oh, it's just the story of Joseph, and then I noticed it wasn't saying anything about the Joseph um, of Egypt that we know. It was really focusing on the details of another story, and when you read the tra- translated uh, text yourself and the history of all the symbols that are um, superimposed in that story, you'll see that it's related to Jesus and Mary Magdalene as well. Absolutely, and of course, you read that letter, that letter from Moses, the man who, who translated it, and 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 see how that was. Uh, the letter was torn, and the bottom was torn off the letter when he was just about to get into uh, talking about. 
what the what the secret of it was, and uh, uh, and there was also some other things that were blotted out uh, that that have been recovered. But uh, so, the Lost Gospel is a very very exciting book, and uh, it um, it is one that that really 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 relates to what we've been doing for a long time to our our uh, seasonal ceremonies of of uh, the ancient Canaanites and that we've reconstructed and and the whole idea of us uh, of, the, of the the honey sacrament uh, and being the original the original grail and and of course in the Craterapoa, which is our initiatory system of having the seventh degree uh using the same uh title that uh that um, Pharaoh bestowed upon Joseph and uh and all of this fits together and uh, and as I said, it all fits together and and uh, uh like uh, like Hannibal Smith said. I love it when a plan comes together. <laughs> anyway, and that's from the OTA team. Okay, so next week, another very exciting and hopefully uh, inspiring uh, show. I don't know quite what it's going to be yet, but it will be. We'll try to make it inspiring. And and uh, and and until then, thank you, Brother Solomon, for your your sage comments, comments, and until then, good magic. Mm -hmm. Good magic. <laughs>